Greetings, I'm Tom Hensky, the host of The Affluent Advisor. With almost three decades under my belt in working with advisors, I found that the best way for us to stay current on our craft is through peer-to-peer -peer education. It's always a great feeling when we can learn something new or even just brush up on a planning technique that we haven't thought about in a while. But where do we as personal finance, tax, and estate planning experts go to sharpen the saw? The Affluent Advisor is a place where advisors, whether they be accountants, attorneys, insurance professionals, or financial advisors can come to get small bite-sized pieces of information from our peers to keep us current and knowledgeable on a wide variety of topics. Join us on a journey to grow as practitioners one that benefits both you and ultimately the clients that you advise. Welcome back, everyone. We have with us today attorney Joan Wilson. Joan is a graduate of Lehigh University and then went on to get her law degree at Boston University. She practices estate planning, elder law, Medicaid planning, conservatorships, probate, trust administration, you name it. She's admitted in the state of Connecticut and California, and we'll be talking specifically about the rules in that state, but the general gist of the conversation will go beyond Connecticut. Uh, she's the president-elect of the Connecticut chapter of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. She been appointed to the task force to study ways to protect senior citizens from fraud by the Speaker of the House at the time, Matt Ritter. So welcome, Joan. How are you? Thank you. I'm great, Tom. Thanks for having me. So great. I know, as I said earlier, this is a national podcast, and I know this topic, the topic of elder law, uh, Medicaid planning, is somewhat of a very state-specific, but we could talk in generalities, and we can make sure that we refer to Connecticut law. But other than that, it's just going to be a general discussion of the topics to at least educate the professionals that listen to our show that mm -hmm. they may not know about. Things yeah. that when you and I were talking about, I didn't know about. It was a great education. So let me just start off by asking you the simple question. In your mind, what is elder care planning? Um, it really starts from... I think when somebody retires, they really should start talking about planning because there's a lot that we can do to protect assets against having to be spent on someone's long-term care. Um, so as, as soon as someone starts to start looking at their retirement, they want to reach out to an elder law attorney to discuss asset protection. Um, but then it obviously moves on to when someone gets a diagnosis, we can help even protect assets at that point, because sometimes a diagnosis does not mean an immediate care need. So um, we can help people protect assets. And we often work with financial advisors and accountants in that realm, because I can't do it in a vacuum by myself. I need to have the advisor involved as far as what their investments are. And the accountants are always involved because we need to know what the tax consequences of these planning uh, proposals that we have are. So I always get confused by all the potpourri of different plans uh, that our government uh, allows us to have. What is Medicaid? So Medicaid, and, and the reason why it can be discussed in a national setting is because it, it is a, 
federal and and then also a state run law. So the federal law kind of over overrides everything and then each state comes up with its own plan. Um, but Medicaid, in, in the terms that I'm talking about for long-term care planning, is the process where the state will pay for the person's continuing long-term care. And one of the things that people often get confused about is they think they have Medicare and that's going to pay for everything. And it doesn't. Medicare only pays for a very limited amount of care if you're in the hospital or if you have a short-term rehab after that hospital stay, Medicare will pay for that, but it stops paying after a certain period of time. The longest period of time is 100 days. So when we have clients that come in and have Parkinson's or some form of dementia, those are long-term care, uh, those are long-term needs, you know, where this Medicare is not going to pay for that forever. So that's when people start getting into a situation where they're asked to pay privately. And here in Connecticut, the average cost of a nursing home for rehab is about $15,000 per month. So it can really deplete someone's assets very quickly. So then that's when you would discuss potentially applying for the Medicaid program to pay for that care. And also in Connecticut, our Medicaid program pays for home care. So some, sometimes people, you know, they don't want to hear about Medicaid because they think I'm talking about putting them in a nursing home, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Not all states have Medicaid for home care, but Connecticut is one of the ones that pays for home care for, uh, with Medicaid dollars. Great. So I, I get this. So basically the average cost is about 15000 per month. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a huge number, by the way, right. uh, but without that um, component. So then what you spend down your assets, right? And to what level do you have to spend down your own assets before you start to get some sort of Medicaid? Well, th that's where we can really step in and, and do some, some planning and make sure that you're not completely spent down. So Every state has its own plan. Most states you have to spend down to $2,000 and that's in assets. Not That's not like your monthly income or anything like that. That's what you have in your investment account or in your bank account is, is $2,000. Connecticut happens to have a slightly different plan. We have to spend down to 1,600, but there are a lot of things we can do to try to protect those assets. So um, for somebody just look online or hear from their neighbor that, they have to be down to 1600. A lot of people just say, well, I, I don't qualify for that. So I'm not going to bother going to talk to anybody. And that's a really big mistake because there are ways that we can protect assets. One, if it's a married couple, the spouse who is not on Medicaid gets to keep a certain amount. In Connecticut right now, it's one half of the couple's assets up to about $130,000. So it's still not a lot of money. If somebody, if a married couple has a million dollars in in retirement assets, and they don't do any other planning, the spouse can only keep one hundred and thirty. So they're they're spending a significant amount of that. But the other thing that we have right now, and this is this is part of the federal law, you can do Medicaid compliant annuities in order to essentially quote unquote spend that money and get you down to that. $130,000 level, but you're not really losing it because you just turn it into an income stream. Okay. So let me get this straight. So I'm married and uh, one of us needs care 
which means we have to pay down all of our assets, at least in the state of Connecticut, to about $130,000. So let's say that I'm the one that needs care and my wife doesn't. So now she only has $130,000 left in the account. I'm getting care. What does she use to live on, assuming no planning? That's it. So she she could still retain her income. So you know, presumably most most time people are over sixty five when they're when they're on Medicaid. So the spouse might be getting Social Security, um, and the spouse who's at home can keep his or her Social Security. The other income of the spouse who's in the nursing home actually has to get paid towards the nursing home. So that's another consideration we have to look at. You're losing a portion of your income, sometimes more than half, if if the if the higher earner is the one in, in the nursing home, then the one at home is has less income. And then they own they have to spend down their, their assets. So if they have to dip into savings to make ends meet because their income isn't enough, that $130,000 that they have left is, is going to be depleted and probably pretty quickly. So it, it can be really financially devastating if you have to spend down to that 130,000. So that's what the annuity helps with. So if the amount that had to be spent down was say $800,000, we turn that into an annuity. It becomes an income stream for the spouse who's at home. So in addition to that social security they might be getting, they're also gonna be getting some income from this annuity and hopefully it's enough to be able to pay the expenses and then some, because we wanted them to be able to save a little bit of it too. So that's, it's a, it's a really valuable tool that, that we have. Okay. So for any advisors that are listening to this, this is clearly doing no planning as a non-option. Uh, as I hear for myself, that's also a non-option for us, right? For sure. So, yeah. so let's play out the annuity scenarios, right? So you, uh, you start to go into it, but who is the annuity on? Who gets the income? What happens when that spouse dies? Can you just take us through a couple of examples just to make it? Yeah, clear? yeah, and and there there are a variety of different options. So one would be married couple. One person is in the nursing home. There's a spend down. There's and this is only the liquid assets. You know, the house is exempt. So we're not saying that they have to sell their house. This this is the liquid assets we're talking about. So. The, the spend down of the liquid assets purchases an annuity for the spouse who's at home, that income comes to that spouse. And once uh, somebody applies for and is approved for Medicaid, they become a separate entity financially from their spouse. So there's the person in the nursing home, they pay their income to the nursing home, the spouse gets the income stream from the annuity. In order for that annuity to be Medicaid compliant, the state has to be the primary beneficiary. So the real intent of this is we want this money to be there for the spouse, but if the spouse dies before the annuity is fully paid out, then the state steps in and says, okay, what's left in this annuity? And what have we paid on behalf of this spouse who's in the nursing home? We want to get reimbursed. Okay. So let me just stop and ask a quick question. So- If it's a single life annuity where it's on this, the, let's call it the stay at home spouse or the healthy spouse yeah. or whatever you would like to call that spouse, mm-hmm. but it ends at their death. So let's say that they die in three years. Okay. There's no money left in the annuity or does there have to be some sort of yeah. uh, 
tangible leftover, let's call it. There has to be a leftover. It has to be a term of years. It's not just based on their their life, but the the term of years has to be less, you know, less than their life expectancy. So you can't say <clears throat> for a 92-year-old person, we're going to do a 20-year annuity. You still have to, it has to be within their life expectancy, but it has to be a fixed term, fixed number of years. Okay, I get it. So let's say, let's use hypothetically, it's five years, right? Mm -hmm. It's a five year term. So then the money comes to that at home, healthy spouse, right? And not in a nursing home spouse. Yeah, community spouses, community spouse. Great. And what are they allowed to do with the money? Can they spend it however they want? The, The only thing they cannot do with their money is give it away. You know, there's a there's a whole penalty for giving money away. So otherwise, the money goes into the spouse's account. They can use it for whatever they want. They could go on vacation. They could spend it. Um, it's theirs. And the only so anything that gets into the spouse's account is completely free and clear because that's the spouse's. It's oh, wait, what's so left it's- in the annuity. So even if it builds up and that spouse starts to accumulate money and they didn't really mm-hmm. spend a lot of it, it doesn't come back into the calculus at some later point? Nope, not at all. Because they now they're separate financial entities, the spouse can then accumulate that money. So if the spouse doesn't really need the money to live off of, it just funnels back into their savings account. And then that's when we also would do a new estate plan for that spouse because we don't want their will to say, if I die, all this money that I've reaccumulated is going to go to my spouse because that's going to kick them off the Medicaid program and it's going to defeat the whole plan. So we change the spouse's will because we never know. Even if it's the well spouse, community spouse, that person might die first. So we need to make sure that all this wealth that they're accumulating will then pass to you know their their beneficiaries instead of to the spouse who's in the nursing home. Okay. And how do people know that the annuity they purchase qualifies? Um, They would have to go through somebody who understands the process. Um, And so when we have clients who are recommending an annuity, if they have a financial advisor, we'll work with them. If they've never done it before, we'll we'll review it. We're going to review the annuities anyway, because we have to submit it with our Medicaid application. Um, but we've worked with financial advisors who were somewhat unfamiliar with it, but wanted to learn the system. So there's the parameters are, it has to be a fixed number of years. The number of years has to be within the life expectancy of the annuitant. The state has to be listed as the primary beneficiaries. There's a few factors that we have to look at to make sure that it qualifies. But there, there's also Medicaid annuity we can do if it's a single individual. So it's not just couples that this this helps. Um, you know, the state pays a much lower rate than that fifteen thousand dollars a month. So sometimes what we do is we get somebody qualified for the Medicaid program by doing this annuity for them and getting them on the state rate rather than just spending, spending, spending fifteen thousand dollars a month and then waiting till they're completely out of money to qualify for the Medicaid program. Okay, I love it. Wow, this is really putting the pieces of a puzzle together for you. I'm sure we could have you on forever uh, (laughs) talking about all the different techniques, but this is a great one for advisors to be aware of. Um, I'll make sure that I put all your contact information in the show notes so everyone can get a hold of you. Anything else before we sign off? No, I think that's it. Just, you know, I think it's helpful that people know that it's an option. 
Joan Wilson, you've been a font of information. Thank you so much. And advisors, if you have any more questions, just find Joan in the show notes. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. Please remember that any views or opinions expressed during this podcast are those of our guest and do not necessarily express those of the Affluent Insurance Advisor. While the information in this episode may concern financial matters, it is not legal or tax advice and should not be construed as such. We encourage you to consult with your legal counsel or tax advisors on these matters. Tom Hensky is a registered representative and offers securities and investment advisory services through MML Investor Services, member SIPC. 90 Park Avenue, New York, New York, 10016, 212-536-6000.